Lesson 13 for September 20-26 The Second Coming of Jesus Sabbath afternoon, September 20 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have something to look forward to. Not just eternal life, but that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And as we study about that today and what Jesus said about it, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be there to guide and to bless. Bless us also in our personal lives, whether we live in Frankston or McAllen or Dublin or anywhere else in between. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text for today is John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's read that again. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The second coming of Jesus, mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament, is the capstone of our teachings. It is essential to our identity as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. The doctrine is engraved in our name, and it is a crucial part of the gospel that we are called to proclaim. Without the promise of his coming, our faith would be in vain. This glorious truth gives us a sense of destiny and motivates our missionary outreach. It could be argued that the stretching of time beyond our expectations would undermine our belief in Jesus' promise to return. However, this has not happened. For many, our passion for Christ's return is stronger than ever. This week, we will review what Jesus said about the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as expressed in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Sunday, September 21, The Promise After the Last Supper, Jesus told the disciples that he would go to a place where, at least for now, they could not go. That's in John 13:33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, The thought of being separated from the Master filled their hearts with sorrow and fear. Peter asked in verses 36 and 37, Lord, where are you going? Why can I not follow you now? Christ knew their desire and assured them that the separation would be only temporary. Question. Read Christ's promises to us in John 14, verses 1 to 3. Apply those words to yourself. 
Why should they mean so much to you? John 14 and beginning at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Our Lord's pledge could not have been more emphatic. In Greek, the promise... I will come again, is in the present tense, emphasizing certainty. It could literally be translated, I am coming again. Jesus has given us the certitude of his second coming. He did not say, I may come again, but I will come again. Every time he mentioned his return, he referred to it in certain terms. Sometimes we make promises we later cannot keep, even in spite of our best efforts and determination. That's not the case with Christ. Many times he proved unmistakably that his word is trustworthy. Referring to his incarnation, the Lord prophetically announced through David in Psalm 40 verse 7, Behold, I come. And he did as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. The reality of his first coming sustains the certainty of his second. During his earthly ministry, Jesus promised a despairing father, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well, in Luke 8.50. And sure enough, Jairus' daughter was made well, although she had been dead. Christ announced that three days after his own death, he would rise from the grave, and he did. He promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples, and he sent him right on time. If our Lord honoured all his promises in the past, even those that from a human perspective seemed impossible, we can be certain that he will keep his promise to come again. So, to finish today, how can you keep the fire burning in your own heart for the second coming of Jesus? Monday, September 22, The Purpose of Jesus' Second Coming The great plan of redemption will find its culmination in the Second Coming. Without Christ's return to this earth, His incarnation, death and resurrection would have no effect for our salvation. Question. What is one of the basic reasons for the Second Coming of Jesus? Let's look at Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Life is not always fair. In fact, often it is not fair. 
we do not always see justice in our society. Innocent people suffer while evil ones seem to prosper. Many people do not receive what they deserve. But evil and sin will not reign forever. Jesus will come, as it says in Revelation 22.12, to give to everyone according to his work. This assertion implies that a judgment must take place prior to Christ's return. When Jesus comes, the destiny of each human being will already have been decided. Jesus clearly hinted at this investigative judgment in the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 to 13. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fact that we are judged by works does not mean that we are saved by our works or by our own merits. Salvation is by God's grace and received by faith in Jesus. As we read in Mark 16.16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, which we demonstrate by our actions. What's important about the promise in Matthew 16.27 is that justice will be done. We just have to wait for it. Also, at the second coming, those who sleep in Jesus will be raised to eternal life. As we saw earlier, because we know that the dead are asleep in the grave, the promise of the second coming and the resurrection to eternal life that follows is especially important to us. In the book Great Controversy, page 644, I read, Amid the reeling of the earth, the flash of lightning and the roar of thunder, the voice of the Son of God calls forth the sleeping saints. He looks upon the graves of the righteous, then, raising his hands to heaven, he cries, Awake, 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 ye that sleep in the dust, and arise. Throughout the length and breadth of the earth, the dead shall hear that voice, and they that hear shall live. And the whole earth shall ring with the tread of the exceeding great army of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. From the prison house of death they come, clothed with immortal glory, crying, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15.55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And the living righteous and the risen saints unite their voices in a long, glad Shout of victory. Tuesday, September 23. How will Jesus come? In his prophetic sermon... Christ expressed concern about wrong teachings in regard to his second advent, and he warned his disciples against people who would come in his name, saying, as in Matthew 24, verse 5, I am the Christ. 
Let's also look at Matthew 24, verses 23 to 26. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. He doesn't want his followers to be deceived. Therefore, he clearly indicated the way in which he will come. Question. What does Matthew 24 verse 27 tell us about how Jesus is going to return? For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Lightning cannot be hidden or faked. It flashes and shines throughout the sky in such a way that everyone can see it. So will Jesus' second coming be. No advertisement will be needed to call people's attention toward it. Every human being, good and evil, saved and lost, even they who pierced him, it says in Revelation 1-7, will see him coming. Actually, Matthew 26 verse 64 says, Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Question. How does First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 help us understand what the second coming will be like? Well, let's read from verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. In his second advent, Christ will be seen with all his divine glory as, as it says in Revelations 19, verse 16, King of kings and Lord of lords. In the incarnation, the Son came alone, without any external splendor, with, as it says in Isaiah 53, 2, no beauty that we should desire him. But this time he will descend with all his majesty and magnificence, surrounded by, as it says in Matthew 25:31, all the holy angels. And, as it says in Matthew 24:31, with a great sound of a trumpet. If all that weren't enough, the dead in Christ will rise to immortality. So to finish the day. If we trust the Lord concerning an event as incredible as the second coming, why should we not trust him about every aspect of our lives?
Wednesday, September 24. When will Jesus come? When Jesus said regarding the temple that not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down, in Matthew 24, 2, the disciples were astonished. They said in the next verse, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In their thinking, the destruction of the temple would coincide with the end of history at Jesus' return. Jesus' answer skillfully combined the signs for both events, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 and his second advent, because the disciples were not prepared to grasp the difference between them. It is important for us to understand the nature and purpose of these signs. They were not given for us to determine the date of Jesus' return, for, as it says in verse 36, of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Rather, the signs show the historical tendency of events in order to alert us that his coming is near, even at the doors. While we should never be date-setters, we must never ignore the time we live in, either. Question. Read Matthew 24 and a whole range of verses there, and also look at Mark 13 and Luke 21. What picture of the world does Jesus present here? In what ways does it fit the world in which we now live? Well, let's read Matthew 24, verses 3 to 14. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And in Matthew 24, verses 21 to 26. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or, Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man.
And verses, verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And verses 37 to 39. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And let's have a look at Mark chapter 13. Then he went out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And Luke 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all those out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the day will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after them, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. 
You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. The most important idea Jesus wanted to impress on the disciples' minds was that his coming is near. Actually, his entire prophetic sermon addressed the apostles as if they were to be alive when he would come. And we see that in Matthew 24, verses 32, 33, and 42. Verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. And then verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. In a real sense, from the personal perspective of each of us, the second coming is never further away than a moment after our death. Death is a deep, unconscious sleep. We close our eyes in death, and whether one year has passed or one thousand years have passed, the next thing we know is the second coming of Jesus. Thus, the idea of the nearness of Christ's coming, which Paul, Peter, and James also shared, makes perfect sense. For each of us, individually, his coming is never more than a moment after we die. So to finish today, how does this concept help us understand the imminence of Christ's second coming? Thursday, September 25, Watch and Be Ready Question. Why is it crucial for us always to watch and be ready for Jesus' coming? Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The keynote of Jesus' prophetic sermon is the imperative to watch, to be on alert. It doesn't mean to wait idly, but to be actively vigilant, as is the owner of a house who remains diligent against any potential thief, as it says in verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. While watchfully waiting, we have a work to do, as did the faithful servant who carried out the tasks his master entrusted to him during the master's absence, as in verse 45. Who then as a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? And also in Mark chapter 13, verses 34 to 37. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Question. 
What attitude would be fatal for us who claim to believe in the second advent of Jesus? We'll look at Matthew 24 and Luke 21. How can we avoid falling into that attitude? Why is the error so easy to do if we are not careful? Well, let's look at Matthew 24, verses 48 to 51. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites." There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 35. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. The parable of the evil servant is very sobering, especially for us as Seventh-day Adventists. This servant represents those who profess to believe that Christ will come again, but not immediately. Believing that the Lord is delayed, they think they still have time to live selfishly and indulge in sinful pleasures because surely there will be plenty of time to prepare for the second coming. Unfortunately, this idea is a deadly trap because no one knows when Jesus will come. Moreover, even if Christ doesn't come yet, any one of us could be called to rest immediately, unexpectedly, suddenly ending our opportunity to make things right with God. But above all, repeated indulgence in sin gradually hardens and desensitizes the conscience so that it becomes more difficult to repent. The devil doesn't care that we believe theoretically in the second coming of Jesus, as long as he can make us postpone our preparation for it. How can we be ready today? By repenting and by confessing our unconfessed sins to Jesus, by renewing our faith in his expiatory death on the cross for us, and by surrendering our wills totally to him, walking in communion with him, we can enjoy the deep peace of being covered by his robe of righteousness. And so to finish today, how much do you think about the second coming? How much of its reality impacts your life? How do we strike the right balance in going about our daily work and yet living in anticipation of Christ's return? Friday, September 26. From the book Great Controversy, page 640 and 641, soon there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. It is the cloud which surrounds the Saviour and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man. In solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth, becoming lighter and more glorious, until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant. Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror. 
with anthems of celestial melody, the holy angels, a vast unnumbered throng, attend him on his way. The firmament seems filled with radiant forms, ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. No human pen can portray the scene, no mortal mind is adequate to conceive its splendour. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. Number one, though we need to believe in the nearness of Christ's return, how can we avoid the dangers of fanaticism? That's not always so easy. After all, how many fanatics really think that they are fanatics? Two, dwell more on the idea that the second coming is never far off from each one of us on a personal, individual level because our death is never really that far off, no matter how long we live. What does this idea tell us about just how close the second coming really is as far as we are each concerned? 3. How do you respond to those who mock the idea of the second coming? Before you respond to them, try to put yourself in their shoes, looking at things from their perspective. After you do that and see their arguments, think through ways that you can respond. 4. What about this idea that we as a people can either help hasten or delay the second coming? What are the arguments either way in that discussion? And five, if you knew that Jesus was coming next week, what in your life would change now? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Show Us Your Church. Ivan and Rivetta grew up in the traditional church in Macedonia. After their marriage, Rivetta continued attending church occasionally, though Ivan didn't. When the Bible became available in the Macedonian language, Rivetta bought a copy. But she didn't read it. She put it on a shelf and forgot it. Years later, Ivan, a lawyer, had a heart attack. While recovering, he asked Ravita for the Bible. I know the laws of our country, he said. Now I want to read God's laws. Ivan found the Ten Commandments and told Ravita that they had been disobeying God's laws all their lives. God says we must have no other gods before him. But we have icons in the house and at the church, he said. It says that God is jealous. He wants us to worship him not saints. And here, God says that we must keep holy the seventh day, not the first day. Rabita took the Bible from Ivan and began reading for herself. She read for hours a day. She threw away the icons and searched for a church that kept the Sabbath, but she couldn't find one. So the couple worshipped in their home on Sabbath. Frustrated, Rabita cried, God, please show us your church. She turned on the TV and heard a pastor speak of the second coming, just what they had been studying. At the end of the program, the name Seventh-day Adventist Church flashed across the screen. Ravita called the TV station and asked for the number of the Adventist Church. She called the church and told the pastor that they wanted to talk with him. He offered to come to their home. Ivan and Ravita peppered the pastor with questions on the Ten Commandments and other Bible texts that troubled them. 
the pastor chuckled and explained each subject in depth. Ivan and Revita were satisfied that they had found the true church and began worshipping there. They shared what they were learning with Ivan's parents. They believed and joined the Adventist church before Ivan, who struggled with tobacco. Finally, he turned his habit over to God, and God gave him the victory. Ivan and Revetta were baptised together. We thank God for the television programs that led us to the church, where God delights to dwell, Revita says. Your mission offerings help support the ministry of television and radio in the small country of Macedonia, where fewer than 500 members live today. Thank you. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.